Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. So glad that you could make it. If you are returning back for the first time, thank you for being with us maybe last weekend and for coming back. If you're here for the very first time, let me let you know that there is a red tent out that way in the hall. There is a gift that we have for you if you are a first-time guest or if you just are so new but you never got the gift, uh, but maybe it's not your exact first time. Go ahead and check that out. Also, if you have the Fierce app, go ahead and pop that open and follow along on the digital program, uh, which is under the weekend tab. If you don't have it, just search the Play Store or the App Store and you can join us. So I want to talk to you today about the best use of your time. I want to talk to you about the importance of staying and remaining spiritually aggressive so that we can get everything that God has for us now and in the future. So if I were to ask you, if I just said, hey, can you give me the phone number for the mafia? Anybody got the phone number for the mafia? Or, hey, what is their email address? I really need to get a hold of these guys. Um, if I were to ask you that, you wouldn't be able to tell me because part of the nature of being the mafia is you have to stay hidden for it to work well. You have to stay under, undercover. You have to make sure that you look normal day to day. You have to make sure that whatever you're... Uh, whatever your nefarious things you're doing at bad hours, you look legit. You look like you're doing something else during good hours. Well, believe it or not, and I hope I don't strike as like a conspiracy theory guy, but there is a far worse power than the mafia. It is the kingdom of darkness. And they work best when they stay hidden. And they've got plans for you, and they've got plans for me. And sometimes we think like the devil wants to just like grab a pitchfork and get us in the butt, but that's not really what he's about. He's got decade and centuries long plans to warp our thinking and to get us to contradict and disagree with what God says. So let me give you some examples of some things that the enemy would try to get you to think. He would try to get you to, to think, hey man, you don't need to trust God, just trust in yourself. He would try to work the culture in such a way that being so independent that you don't need anybody was very, very attractive to you. He might also play into your disappointment and might be trying to get you to think, well, you know, it really doesn't, it doesn't help to believe anything. If, if you just don't believe anything, well, then you're never disappointed when you find out it wasn't true. And all that does is get you to contradict faith. He might try to be getting you to believe that every one of your feelings or desires is the same thing as your identity. That's not even a little bit true. Nope, that's just your feelings and desires, which are affected by the fallen planet. He might get you to try to buy into some other kind of solution for planet Earth, but the real problem is that God is not on the throne of each one of our hearts. There are social problems, and, and I want to give our generation props because one of the things that the younger generation is doing is they're embracing activism on a scale that previous, I believe, generations weren't doing. And that's, that's really good. So not everything about the new generation is bad. But we are increasingly convinced that evil is good and good is evil. And the problem is not out there that we have to go fix, though there are things to fix out there. The first and foremost problem is God sees it is right here. 
It's who's on the throne here. Jesus says, I do want to change the world, but I want to start with you. So let's start with you. And the enemy's purpose in this is to rob you of power and to rob the church of Jesus Christ of power and to reduce your reward. Believe it or not, we're going to talk about reward today. Reward is real, and he wants to reduce it. There's reward here on earth, and there's reward in heaven, and he wants to make sure that you get as little as possible. I don't know who's water. If you left your water up here, we're sharing. I'm like, I don't know whose that is. Thank you for sharing it with me. Um, And this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy about today, okay? The Apostle Paul, he's like the mentor. He's He's the guide, so to speak, to Timothy, who's a young pastor. Many scholars think he's around 30. The truth is we have no idea, but that's a good guess because he, he thinks of himself as young. He's a little bit insecure. And Paul is telling Timothy, hey, there are these agendas in the kingdom of darkness. This demonic mafia is always trying to trick people. In Paul's day, it was a lot about legalism. Legalism is the lie that you and I have to do something to remain right with God or to get right with God or to keep ourselves right with God. Let me just say at the outset, because we need, we need to hear this, just like Erica was talking about in that video, it is all grace There's nothing we could ever do to please the Father enough. Thankfully, Jesus Christ comes along and he presents to the Father, hey, I want to give the Father every little bit of my obedience to uh, pay back, to pay the penalty for what all these humans did wrong. And the Father accepts it. Father is judge, and so the judgment passes us by, and Jesus takes it on the cross. So all of that is by grace through faith. But Paul says, Uh, Timothy, you got to watch out because there's going to be these sneaky little lies that sneak in and people are going to start to think it's not by grace through faith. They're going to start thinking they've got to do something. They got to keep earning God's favor. And that was a lie then. It's a lie now, but we've got different ones right now. And one of them is, hey man, just lay off the gas a little bit. You're getting a little bit too much here. Okay. What are you doing with all this Christian stuff? What are you doing with all this spiritual stuff? You want to be a kook? All right, just slow it down, son. Take it easy. That is one of the lies he's trying to tell us today. And so we're going to listen to Paul talk to Timothy about what Timothy is supposed to talk to his church about, and he's really going to be talking to us about. So let's go ahead and pick it up. 1 Timothy 4, starting verse 1. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon, later times, some will abandon the faith following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That's, that's the mafia right there. That's the worst mafia right there. And when he says later times, what he's talking about is the time in between Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the time Jesus returns. The New Testament returns, uh, refers to that as the latter times, okay, the last days. It doesn't mean it's the last day. It just means it's the last epoch before Jesus comes back. Verse two, such, te- such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, just so you don't get the wrong image, because this is what I used to think. I'm thinking like an iron at Target. I'm like, yeah, you know, just doing your shirt. Oh, rats, I seared it. Like, that is not what he means, okay? He's thinking a branding iron, okay? So in Paul's day, if your slave ran away and you caught him, you could put your brand on the bottom of their foot I know it's super wicked, but that's what they would do. And and you're saying, this is mine. And what Paul is saying is, these doctrines of demons, these lies convince people to compromise and they sear their conscience by ignoring sin. They're just like, oh, that's not so bad. But he's also saying, 
When you see this in yourself or others, when you're just ignoring evil that you, you should know better, you've, you've already claimed allegiance to Jesus Christ, he's saying that's the brand mark of the enemy and it's mocking God. The enemy is saying, nope, see, they're still mine. My brand is still on them the way that they're compromised. And we're all susceptible to that. So just know that you don't want, and, and you can't mock God really. He's not really, but he's trying really hard. Verse, you know, we're going to jump down to verse six. If you point these things out, so he said, Timothy, you got, you got to tell your people about this. Point these things out to the brothers and sisters. You will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of good teaching that you have followed. Have, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Now listen, he's, he's going to juxtapose two things. Godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The devil doesn't want you to go to heaven, but if you've trusted Jesus Christ, he's like, well, I've already lost them, but I'm going to try to reduce their reward as much as possible. And I'm going to reduce the good that they could possibly do on this planet. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Which, which saying is he talking about? The one that just preceded it. He's saying, oh, wives' tales, those aren't helpful and they're not true. But here's what's true, and it's helpful. Train yourself to be godly for both the present life and the life to come. Verse 10, that is why we labor and strive, meaning he and, and his apostolic crew, because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Everybody could be saved, by the way. We see that right there. And yet only some will trust in Jesus Christ. But if, ever, if anyone ever tells you, you know, there's people that just couldn't be saved, just say, I'm sorry, you're lying. Go look up uh, 1, uh, 1 Timothy and you'll see that um, Jesus died for everybody to be saved, though he just knows that everybody won't. Command these things and command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because of you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. What is he telling Timothy? He's saying, Timothy, I know you feel young. Don't let that make you feel insecure. You need to help God's people understand these things. There are certain things that they just got to do if they're going to get all that God has for them. Now, verse 13, until I come, Devote yourself to the public reading of the scriptures, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, somebody say gift, which was given to you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. So that everyone may see your progress. It was in college when I first was turned on to the book, The Tyranny of the Urgent. Anybody read that book, The Tyranny of the Urgent? It was the first time it identified for me that one of the things our spiritual enemy wants us to do is just stay so busy that we have no time to reflect on whether or not the things we're doing are particularly important. Okay, so there's this tyranny. We're ruled by having to just keep going and having to get things done. And we never ask, am I sure that this, of all the things I could do, are these all the things that God has asked me to do? Or has God only asked me to do a few things and I need to do them really, really well? Which are the priorities that God wants me to do. They're right here in this text. And so what we're going to look at is, hey, God's will for you and me is that we'll be blessed here and even more than here in heaven because that's forever. And so the best use of our time is to get really spiritually aggressive in such a way. Now, listen, this is weird. It's going to sound weird to you. In such a way that people can look at it and they can tell. They're like, dog, they're making progress. I can see it. I see what's happening here. 
So the best use of your time is training to be godly. The best use of your time is training to be godly. So you know this, when you leave in the morning or in the evening, whenever it is you go to work, you don't just leave the house or the apartment and just drive anywhere. You drive somewhere. You're trying to get to a place. In the same way, Paul is telling Timothy to tell everybody, hey, make sure you're trying to get to the right place. You're trying to get to such a level of spiritual aggressiveness that when people look at your life, they're like, wow, they are growing. I can tell. Now, sometimes we just feel like we're on a merry-go-round. Church folks do. So we just do the same thing. Just come every Sunday. Just do it again. Just do it again. Just do it again. And after a while, I feel like I'm hearing the same things. But, but if we were to really ask the question, am I growing? Like, am, I, am I growing in such a way that if you haven't seen me in a while, you would look at me and be like, wow, they're just more humble. Holy cow, you know, it's been a little while, but I can tell, like, you're just sweeter somehow. Most people get bitter as they get older. I don't know how, but you're, like, doing the opposite of that. It's like you're less of a pill. And yet that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's like, that's what it should look like if we've got the right priorities and we're going after them with the right intensity. So he says, Timothy, make sure that you tell your people you've got to practice these keystone habits. You've got to do certain things because there's, there's actually only a few things that will really grow you versus all the things that we just might like to do. So let me give you some examples. These aren't all of them, but these are the ones in the text. Verse 11, sorry, verse 13 says, public reading of scripture, preaching and teaching. The Bible again and again and again is the catalyst for spiritual growth. As we give ourselves to the study of the Bible, just do exposure to it, just by being under it, being around it like at church, and then trying to get specific, trying to understand exactly what it teaches about God. As that is growing over the years, we're going to feel like we have a spiritual rocket booster on. It is God's word. That is the keystone habit for spiritual growth. Uh, Paul says, Timothy, make sure your people know that, and that they don't just know it, but they do it. What's another one? Um, Serving. You saw that in verse 14. Hey, don't neglect your gift. Timothy, make sure you don't and teach your people not to. I gotta tell you, man, in case you don't know, all believers are given spiritual gifts. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've been given spiritual gifts and it's really important to know that's not like a present for you. It is a solution to a problem in the body of Christ. It is something that actually needs done. God knew where you would live. He knew where where you were gonna be. And he's like, oh, well, that church and that body's gonna need this, so let me put it in you. And when we neglect our gift, we lose reward and the church loses power because it was sent on purpose. God's not just willy-nilly chucking stuff out of heaven. Like he put it into you on purpose. And then there's, there's one more I wanna look at and that's in verse 13. It said, public reading of scripture. Public reading of scripture. Now they didn't, it's really sad. They didn't have Bibles like we do. They weren't gonna go home and read their Bible. There was no Bible at home if they could read at all. They were together. Here's one thing we always have to remember when we're looking at the scriptures. We are, as far as I know, most of us are Westerners. That means we have a very individualistic mindset. And we see the world through individualistic eyes. We ask the question, how does this, you know, how, how does this affect me? And what am I going to do? And if anything ever goes wrong, if, if, if we're going to feel shame, I might feel shame. But I don't expect the entire people to feel shame. This is an Eastern culture. Now, even today, Eastern cultures, they get this a whole lot more than we do. But this is the ancient Near East, okay? And they're understanding that they're seeing things as a collective. 
And if you'll read the New Testament and you'll put in, in all the places you see you and you assume it means you all, a lot of New Testament is written to y'all. Y'all is a spiritual word. <laughs> Meaning the Bible, the, the time of the Bible, it's in the dough that baked it. It's the understanding that we are a we. We're not just an I. Okay, so that means Christianity happens in the context of a we, not just an I. There are things you can't do as just an I. I'm not saying you can't do stuff. I'm just saying you can't do New Testament Christianity as just an I. You have to do it as a we. It was designed to be a we. So there's, and what, what is that? That means community. That means fellowship. That means if you're really going to grow, you're going to grow around other people. That's how that's going to tend to work. I'll bet you you could name two or three people. If you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, you can name two or three people. You seeing them and being around them caused you to get some things. Like you just saw how that obedience works. Or you saw a winsomeness to somebody's personality. Or you saw the fire in somebody. You're like, oh, that's how that's supposed to go. But it's only because you were around some people that you saw it all. And, and if you haven't had those, um, precious, it's time. It's time to get some of those by getting around some people. What what's, might rock your mind here is a few years ago, there was a study called the Reveal Study. And it was a survey of a thousand churches. And they were asking the question, okay, forget about all that we think churches should do because it's churchy and it's what they've done for a long time. If we were just to look through the lens of the New Testament, what do we see those people doing? And what makes them grow? And where, where does that connect with what people do today? What are the habits people are doing today that actually cause a spiritual growth? And they wrote this book. If you want to read about it, you can pick up this book. It's called Move. But it's filled with, hey, there's a bunch of this stuff that doesn't really matter. Like do it or don't do it. You're not really going to grow very much. It's Christian. I remember the first time I walked into a Christian bookstore and I saw like Christian mints. It's a little testaments. <laughs> like with scripture on the wrapper. Honey, you can have as many testaments as you want, but that is not going to be a spiritual growth catalyst, okay? That's not a rocket booster. Just because it has a Christian thing on it does not mean it's actually helping you grow, all right? You can, you can cover your car in bumper stickers that say Jesus. It does not mean you are growing. There are certain things that cause us to grow. And in this book, it details, here's all the things that help people to grow in different stages. And you know what the top one was? Scripture. Reflection on Scripture. Serving. Fellowship just like God put in the Bible. That's what they are. If we focus on too many things, we don't do anything particularly well. So I love my kids clear the table as we are done with eating at night. So that's their job. And they've done it for years, different ones. It's been their job. And when I'll get nervous as a parent is when I'll see, you know, one that's under 14, grab three glasses like with their fingers and they're holding it like this. Okay, and they've got like a plate with something glass on it, and they're kind of like going over to the counter, okay, trying to put these down. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And as a dad, you're like, you don't want to say anything because you're like, oh, maybe they can do it. But you also know what it's like to break dishes and how long that takes to clean up. And so you're like, can you please just put them all down? Just take one at a time. You're not saving that much time. And you're a kid. You don't really have anywhere to go. So... If you could just take one, I'd just be really happy because you can focus and that thing will remain safe on its way over to the counter. Well, in the same way, some of us, we're trying to do life in such a way that we're going like this, man. I'm trying to carry everything. 
And God says, there's actually only a few things that you need to do in order to continue to grow spiritually. God says, I don't want you to neutralize the impact that your life could have and the reward that you would have in heaven because you're just not narrow enough. And I want you to do it in such a way that people can actually tell when they see you. So I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You ever had like a, a cousin that you knew, but you haven't seen them since before they went through puberty, and then the next time you see them, they're like in college? It's the same person, but you're like, wow, I think some things have changed here. I can tell you are that person, but you're a different person. You're a more filled out person of who you were. Well, in the same way, God wants us to be able to say that about one another. Wow, man, you sure are making strides. I'll tell you what, I saw the way you responded to them. I felt like two years ago, you would have popped their head off. That was awesome what you just did. We can't do that unless we're together. So here's, we should take respons- here's, here's your notes. We should take responsibility for spiritual progress, number one, by regularly reflecting on the opportunity for heavenly reward. Heavenly reward is real. Now, what you need to know is the Bible teaches earthly reward is real too, okay? Yes, there's gonna be some trial, there's gonna be some difficulty, but obedience begets God's blessing. It causes God to show his favor on us. And God's blessing, just so you know, the things that God blesses us with, like rich relationships, like joy, like gifts, feeling like God is, is personalizing his gifts to us, that's what the world wants anyway, that's what it's chasing, And if we just chase Jesus, we get all that thrown in. But that's real. But here's the deal. It's got an expiration date on it. It's going away. I don't want to be morbid, but I just want you to think through this, okay? Right now, you are in line to die. You can't see the line, but you have a number. And sometime between now and the next hundred years, your number is coming. You don't know how long that line is, until you get there, but that's how much time you have left. And once you go, your reward is forever. That reward doesn't expire. That's going on and on and on and on. A million years from now, that's still going to be true. Thinking about the reality of heaven gives us a sense of anticipation. It makes this thing a little bit easier. It also fills me with excitement because I think about this. We all want to be all that we can be. We want to be our best self, right? We want to be the, oh, I'm finally, I get to be me. We say, in a certain sense, you've never really been you a day in your life because you were trapped in a body that is riddled with berserk sin that actually causes you to be still beautiful, but a marred version of who you're supposed to be. You can't fulfill your highest will until you're with Jesus. That's when you'll truly be free. And so it's such an encouragement to me to think, wow, man, I, I don't know about you. I'm getting sick of this dude. I mean, I just am. I get tired. You know, I, I, I know God likes him, so I'll like him for that reason. You know, and I've got, I've got a high self-esteem. But there's, there are times when I'm just like, you idiot. Are you serious again? Come on, man. How long have you been walking with Jesus? And I just get so excited for someday, dude, I ain't even gonna, I ain't gonna wave goodbye. When I see that body falling, I'm just, I'm just a spirit and I'm going on. I'm like, bye, good riddance. We won't see you again until you're glorified. Come on, somebody. So I just want us to understand, there's a sober, I want us to have a sober, a sober perspective on the idea that you only have so much time left to impact 
that reward. Paul talked about this, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. I just want you to know this is here. He's talking about the judgment that we'll face before God. Now, if, if you've trusted Christ, you're going to go to a first judgment, and God is going to say, hey, this is the judgment of your sin. And by the way, it was already judged on Jesus Christ. You're with Jesus. Come on in. And you get an eternal salvation forever, not on your own merit, but because of Jesus Christ. But then there is another judgment. And that judgment is, but what did you do with the stuff and the time and the people that I gave you? And whatever you did, there is going to be a portioned reward in heaven. And we don't totally understand all that entails, but Jesus is telling us about this because he's like, it's a good thing. You want to do it. It's going to pay off. And so he says, but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. This fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through walls of flame. So the question is, do you want to train for that day? Or do you just kind of want to sashay toward that day? Do you want to just mosey? Or do you want to prepare like it really matters what happens then? So, hey, at first, let's just think about heaven. But we all know this. Thinking about it might improve our action as long as we take action. So that's, part, that's number two. By exerting such effort that people can see your progress. Following Jesus is not supposed to be just a stroll in the park. It's supposed to be aggressive. Now, there's a freedom and a joy that should feel like a cool breeze and refreshing. But, my friends, it's described as a race. It's described as a war. So if you're, if you're entering into a war, how much training do you want? Are you just like, hey, can you just give me the bare minimum training so I can get out to that war real quick? You're probably not going to say that. You're going to be like, how long can I stay and train before I have to go? Because I want to be the best possible soldier I could possibly be. I'm ready to invest some time into it. If you're going to train, you're going to want to train well. You're not, you're, not, you're not saying, how can I get the bare minimum reward in heaven? No. You're saying, what do I got to do to do the very best I can? First Timothy 4, 7, I like this, this Living Bible version. Spend your time and energy in the exercise of keeping spiritually fit. Don't let up. Don't get sidetracked. It's going to involve time and energy. I like the, the Good News translation. Keep yourself in training for a godly life. It means stick with it, yo. Some of us, we get really excited and fiery for a little while, and then we kind of, you know, we fall out, and then we get discouraged, and we just kind of stay out. Paul says, Timothy, you tell them to get back in. Get back in. Get back in the race, man. There's still time. There's still time to affect what happens later. So y'all know that I'm a big movie fan, and one of the parts of the movie that I really enjoy that I think other people find not so good is the training montages, okay? Like Rocky, he, it, before he goes to a fight, something, he's, it's going to get really bad, and then he's like, I'm going to go train, right? And he's running through the streets, and he's chasing chickens, and uh, you know, he's doing something else, and he's getting strong. He's getting ready. Or you've seen the Karate Kid or something where they have to have a training montage before they go into the final battle. I think that's really important because the training is where everything actually happens. And I think it's really important. I wish, I wish more movies had training montages because I love superhero movies, but that's just not how it works, y'all. Okay? Like, ain't no serum coming. You ain't going to wake up bitten by a radioactive spider and have powers. Nobody just gets powers. That's not how it works. You have to train. You go from bad to good by training, 
by getting in there, by getting it done. That's how it works. And so we just, we just can't be tricked into thinking, well, you know, if I'm just not good, I'm just not good. No, we can train, we can work, we can go after the right things, the right catalysts and see improvement. So let me get a green here. I don't know if y'all can see this really well, but this line up here is our pursuit of godliness. Now it's relative to us. It's relative to how our life has gone and, you know, our opportunities and what's happened to us, but it's our pursuit of godliness. This is the time you have left. Again, we don't know what that is. Now we could just kind of, okay, I'm going to, a little bit over the years, go like that. Whatever happens on that day, boom, that's all I got to do. Whatever has been true up to that point affects my reward. If I'm carrying three glasses and four plates and I'm just trying to get everything done, I might, I might skate by with that. That's great. And hey, that's still good. Dude, you're in heaven. You ain't in hell. I mean, that's awesome. That's wonderful. But if we just got really aggressive, like Paul is telling Timothy to tell everybody, hey, get really aggressive about a certain small number of things. And we said, yeah, well, you know, over the years, I got some time left, man. What if, what if I answer like that? Holy cow. Even if, I mean, this dude had some struggles too. He was falling off the wagon a couple times, but he's still, man, he's entering glory well. What about us? Are we willing to Rocky train for this thing? Are we willing to say, you know, I got to do fewer things so I can do the right things better. And let's just make sure that our motives are right. Okay, so you know that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was like, hey, don't do your good works in front of men to be applauded by men on the street corner. So I don't want you doing stuff just so everybody applauds you. But you might know that in the same sermon, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. That means live in such a way publicly enough that people don't think it's you, but they think it's God. They're like, look at how God is living through this person. We have to guard our motives about that. But Paul is still saying, do it in such a way that people can tell. Do it in such a way that, yeah, it's not just just personal. It's intensely important that it's personal. And there are pieces of it, yes, that are private, but the whole thing is not just private. So what I want to do is I want to give you a roadmap. I want to give you a, it's called the discipleship pathway. I want to give you a, hey, here is a little map of how we're going to, as a church, systemize spiritual growth and systemize it around the right things. Um, can you take this away, buddy? Thank you. And let's talk about for just one second, why it's so hard. Why, why, we talk about taking next steps all the time here at Fierce. Why is it so hard for people to continue to take next steps? I'll give you some theories. One, I believe we don't always do a good job of crystallizing what a spiritual maturity even look like. What is the goal here? And we, we, by default, it just becomes about going to church and going to church and going to church. I think also we haven't differentiated between the young Christian and the old Christian. The baby Christian actually needs pretty different things than someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time. Plus, people are at different stages at different times, and they need different things. And not only that, you've still got people that need a re-lesson on something they learned before. So you, you probably figure this out. If you've been walking with Jesus, you know that the Holy Spirit reviews stuff. You passed that test two years ago, but let's see if you can pass it now. How many have noticed that the Holy Ghost revisits things? 
okay? I thought I was doing pretty well. Nope. Try again. And you are making, but what's he, he's trying to put character in us. And so we need a system that takes into account, here's what you do next, but just know there's some that's going to feel repetitive because that's how the Spirit of God works. So here's the four E's or the fierce pathway, four E's, so that maybe they're a little bit easier to remember. But I wanted this to be instinctive so that when you see it, you know, okay, here's what I do next. So let's start at the top. This is engage with Jesus personally and corporately. This is step one. This is where we would start. Engage with Jesus personally and corporately. That means for a, for a brand new Christian, I want them to understand, hey, this is first and foremost about you engaging with Jesus. And our job as the church is to help you trust Jesus. But we're also going to pepper in there, part of your life in the dough is the need for the body of Christ. It is not a Lone Ranger show. Does that make sense? Now, here's what's also fun. You're going to keep going around this thing at some point. No matter how old you get, you're going to come back to, it's all about Jesus. It's all about engaging with Jesus. And you're always going to need the body of Christ. So how this might work for us. When someone first comes to know Jesus Christ here at Fierce, the worship experience is really important. This is where they're encountering God on a mega way. And some of you have experienced this. You're hearing the word of God preached and it's like, like it's hitting you. You're like, wow, I feel like I'm hearing God. And that's wonderful and that's what should be happening. God is trying to hook you. He's trying to get you addicted to this stuff. But for those of you who've been doing this for 10 years, you're like, eh, what do you got, bald preacher? What is it this week? You know, Carter, I've heard all your jokes, man. I know all about this stuff. The, the power of the worship experience goes down a little bit because you're an older creature. When my kids were really young, man, I'd even give them a cookie sometimes to get them to do stuff. Now I just want them to do what I tell them to do. They don't get the cookie necessarily. God's the same way. He says, I used to give you goosebumps for everything. Now I just want you to do what is right. But we don't want to miss that in that top 12 o'clock of the clock, your job when you're a little bit older, is to help other people get there and help other people, people while they're there. See, this is the curse of individualism. We think this Sunday is all about us instead of it's about the body. It's about me helping other people take their spiritual growth steps. So here's two evaluative questions for you in the engaged stage. This is how we can actually tell. Um, how am I doing here? How did I actually spend time with Jesus this week? Not, oh, I've, you know, I thought about him today. That's not engaging with Jesus at least the way we're describing it. And am I understanding what God says about himself with greater clarity? Am I actually understanding who God is in a deeper way? Here's a second place on the clock, established. Establishing godly community and growing in knowledge of the truth. This is the place where community becomes a little bit more important. This is where you're saying, I know God through people, therefore I need interaction with people. This is what small groups is about. When we do small groups, you guys know this, man. That is not to give you something to do. That is not because, well, we just have to have these groups and you have to go through them. It's so that community can embrace one another and we can learn to lift one another's burdens around one another. When we did Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that was this. That was getting established in godly community and doing a little work under the hood. Here's two evaluative questions for that. Do I have a community that is encouraging me in my faith? Yes or no? Have I spent time with other Christians in ways that have challenged my level of godliness in the past week? That's a strong one. Have you done it in the last week in ways that challenge your godliness level? Because you can say, oh, you know, I get fellowship, but there's a Christian at work. Now, that's not fellowship, yo. That's not what the Bible is commanding us to do. The Bible doesn't say go to work with another Christian. 
It's telling us not to forsake the gathering together of ourselves because we need encouragement. Then number three, we're going to go through all these in a deep way next week. I'm just giving you the flyby. Equipped for identifying my gifts and moving forward in serving others. As we said in the beginning, you, if you're a Christian, you are a solution for something, a heaven-sent solution, that God has put this thing in you, and he wants to use it. And so the question is, do you know what your gifts are? Are you finding out at least? And if you're a little bit older, are you helping other people find out? Because there's a lot of people that don't know. And if you know, we need your help to help other people know. And so this will include stuff like spiritual workshop or spiritual gift discovery workshops and stuff like that. Either way, the point is we're asking ourselves consistently, here's your evaluative questions, how am I using my gifts and talents to build up the kingdom of God? Second one, where was it costly to serve others this week? That's New Testament serving. It cost us something. And then finally, empowered. Empowered to initiate spiritual conversations with others. This is where we understand, I do need the church, but I'm also a force in my own world. And God has sent me into the world. And so in every corner that is prepared for it, I want to see the kingdom break out into that area of my life. As the spirit is moving, but I still want to be a part of it. In other words, I'm not waiting for the pastor to come. I'm not waiting for somebody more godly or spiritual to come. I'm taking the appropriate responsibility myself to say, Jesus wants to live in my world right here. Your questions are, who am I praying for right now that is far from God? When was the last time I shared my God story with a friend who is not a Christian? I hope some of those questions at least knocked on the door of your heart a little bit. Because here's the reality, yo. You have a spiritual enemy. He is, the, he is the worst mafia. And he is trying to trick you and I day after day, sit down. Just go easy. You don't need to do this Christian thing. I would tell you, you have immense freedom of rest in Christ. But Christ has given you some things to do, keystone habits that when you do them, they result in great power for the church and great reward for you here and in heaven. The best use of your time is training to be godly. So what I want to do is pray for God to light a fire in our hearts right now. So if you, if you can, would you stand to your feet right now? And if you're a person that is needing some extra spiritual fire, you know, that's not a preach thing. that uh, Preaching doesn't cause that. The Spirit of God causes that. So I want you to just open your hands like this as a sign of surrender to the Holy Spirit. And pray this with me in your heart. Spirit of God, I recognize that I need you as my fuel in the furnace. You've made me to burn for you, to burn for heaven. And Lord, would you grant me an extra level of spiritual aggressiveness? Would you help me to spend my time wisely pursuing the things of God and recognize when I'm carrying too many things. God, would you create spiritual hunger the way that only you can? Would you light me up, fire me up, help me to be an impact on the world around me and help me to know Jesus deeper and deeper in Christ's name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. 
we'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.